Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. So we began a series uh, several weeks ago entitled, A Life Guided by the Word. And we've been looking at the power of the Bible in the life of the believer. And the Bible is full of principles for every aspect of your life. How to raise your children, how to have a good marriage, how to run your finances, how to, how to be a good employee, how to be a good citizen. And so every part of our life, there are principles and guidelines found in the Bible about how to lead those, how to do those things in a God-honoring way. But the Bible is much more than just an instruction book for life. It's more than just a, a how-to manual. Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, when we buy stuff that needs to be put together, I don't even look at the instructions. Anyone else do that? You get something, you're like, I don't need the instructions for this. So you throw the instructions away, and then three hours later, you're like, you know what, I really probably kind of need those instructions because I've got extra bolts. I'm not sure what they're for. And they should probably go in this thing somewhere. And so the Bible is more than just an instruction manual for our life. It is the most powerful tool in the life of the believer to change them into the image of God. And that's God's purpose in our life. The moment we accepted Christ as our Savior and that old man was killed and a new nature moved in, God's purpose for everything that happens is to conform us to the image of his Son. So that when people look at us, they see Jesus. That's what Jesus' purpose was on earth. He said, when you've, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because, yes, with the, the doctrine of the Trinity, he and the Father are one. But also his purpose was, what he was saying was, when you see me and how I treat people and how I interact with people and the things I do and the things I say, it is, it is you are seeing how God would act out his life in human form because it was God in human form. And so when people see us, God wants them not to see us as a better person or a better version of ourselves. He wants them to see Christ in us. And so God uses the Word of God to conform us to the image of God. We saw last time we met that the writer of Hebrews says that the Bible is active and living and able to cut to the heart. And the fact that it is a living book makes it the perfect guide for our life. Because it is a living guide. This book is an active guide. It is just as relevant for us today as it was when it was compiled thousands of years ago. So the, the Bible, it's, it's, of course, we look at it as an ancient book because it came from ancient manuscripts. And it's, I mean, honestly, it's an eternal book. It's been around since before the world was created. It'll be around long after the world's destroyed. The Word of God is eternal, but it's a living, breathing book that speaks to every believer in every generation, in every part of the world, and in every time in the world. 
it is relevant today as it was when it was compiled. It speaks to us today through the 66 books that, that, are, that make up the Bible. It covers many different genres, many different subjects. And through these, these 66 books, it speaks to us. As we saw last week in the historical story of Josiah, the Word of God is profitable for our reproof. And it shows us our sin. It is profitable to reveal our sin. And that's what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks, how the Word of God is profitable for us, how it's good for us, how it's necessary for us. And last time we saw that it was profitable to reveal the sin in our life. The Word of God shows us when we are living in a way that is not lined up with God's holiness. But not only does the Word of God show us our sinfulness, it also leads us to repentance for our sin. Repentance isn't admitting that you've done wrong and saying you're sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance is, oh, I messed up, my bad. That's not repentance. That's, in my opinion, not even confession. But even confession is not repentance. Now, confession is part of repentance, but that's just the beginning. To truly repent of your sins, you have to see that you were wrong, admit that you were wrong, and then stop doing what you were doing that made you wrong in the first place. Again, we see it clearly in the story of the prodigal son. We talked about him this morning. Of course, we know all the story of the prodigal where he, he took his father's inheritance and he, he left to a foreign country and wasted a riotous living. There's a famine in the land. He finds himself feeding pigs and starving to death and saying, man, if I could just eat the slop that these pigs are eating, I would, be, I would, be, I would survive. And then the Bible says he came to himself. He realized his mistake. He realized he had sinned. He said, if I can just get back to my father and just be a servant in his house. He didn't want to go back and be restored. He just wanted to be a servant. But it would have done him no good to say, man, if I could just get back to my dad's house, I'd be okay and just keep feeding the pigs. He had to make a change. He had to leave the faraway land. He had to leave the pig pen and go back to the father. And that's repentance. It is not just realizing what you're doing is wrong and saying, man, this is wrong, I should really stop it. It is saying, this is wrong, I need to quit this, and then making an effort to stop doing what you're doing and get back to God the Father. And the Word of God leads us to repentance. True repentance is seeing your wrong and making changes to correct your wrong and to keep you from doing it again. We see that the Word of God does this in Paul's description of the Word of God we've been looking at in 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3.16, Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. We said that that's learning about the character of God. For reproof, that's learning about your sinful nature against God. And then for correction. Correction is the Greek word epinarthesis. Now, Correction is a different word than the English word repentance that we see in other places of the Bible. Repentance in the, in the uh, when we see repentance in the scripture is a Greek word, matanoe, and it means a change of mind or direction. 
It's, it's got a similar Hebrew word, and we see the Hebrew word used very clearly when it says God repented that He had made man. So we think of repentance, we think, oh, someone's admitting their sin and they're getting right with God. God never sinned, so God could never confess this sin and get right with Himself. So repentance is just a change of mind. He sees when he's talking to Moses on Mount Sinai and says, It repents me that I've brought Israel out, that I've allowed this, that I've chosen this nation. He says that they have sinned so much against me, I wish I had never made that decision. He changed his mind, and Moses made him change his mind back and not destroy Israel. So repentance is a change of mind. But correction, the Greek word correction is epinarthesis. It means restoration to an upright state. Or correction that leads to improvement of character. Correction is the result of repentance. You repent, you see you're wrong, you change your mind and change your direction and get back to God, and that leads you to correction, to restoration with God the Father. Sin in our life will cause our life to get off course. Sin will cause our life to become broken. And we saw last time that the Word of God reveals our sin, but then it leads us to a place of repentance, of coming back to God and getting restored to that upright place, having restoration with God the Father. But it has to be used in the life of the believer. The Word of God has to be read. It has to be studied. It has to be prayed over. It has to be applied to our lives. It has to be meditated on to be able to lead us to a place of correction. See, God's Word is profitable to us because once it shows us our sin, it works in our lives to restore us to an upright state with God. Now, too many believers, we see our sin in the Word of God. They seek forgiveness from God for their sin, but they never seek repentance. And so what happens is they sin, they realize it's wrong, they confess their sin, they never truly repent, so they don't do anything to prevent themselves from sinning again, and then they find themselves doing that same sin, realizing they're wrong, confessing their sin, never setting up any procedures or policies or really truly repenting. So what happens is just a little way down the road, they do that sin again. And we, we, we sin, we feel the shame of it, we cry out to God, we ask for forgiveness, and then we do it all over again. And it's a vicious cycle. Now, we like to, uh, to really make it sound not so bad in our lives. We don't call them sins, we call them bad habits. This is a bad habit I got, man. Got a bad habit of just, you know, running over pedestrians. It's not a bad habit, that's a, that's a sin, that's a crime, number one. But it's just, it's a, or it's, it's you know, because we, we all know the word besetting sin, and we'll look at someone else's life and say he's got a besetting sin in his life. But we don't have besetting sins, we have stumbling blocks. It's just a stumbling block in my life. No, it's not. It's a sin that you have never truly repented of, so you're dooming yourself to do it over and over and over again because we never allow the Word of God to lead us to true repentance so we're, con- we're destined to commit the same sin over and over 
and over again. And again, we've seen it in other people's lives. But if we're honest, we see it in our lives as well. But the problem is, most of us look at our sins and don't think they're so bad. I'll, I'll give you an example. How many of y'all know that the Bible says murder is a sin? All right. Daryl, your hand's not up. It's kind of concerning to me, to be quite honest with you. All right. We can all agree murder's a sin, right? How many of y'all, because you know murder's a sin and a crime, try not to murder people? And I'm not talking, I'm not going to pull the New Testament. Jesus said, if you have hate for someone in your heart, you've already, I'm not pulling that stuff. I'm talking about actually killing someone. We know it's wrong, so we don't do it. How many of y'all agree with that? All right, we've got enough hands up, except on, again, concerning. Just a little bit concerned there. So we all know murder is a sin, so we, we try not to murder. How many of y'all know that worry over anything is a sin? How many of us really worry? Way too much. It's a sin. Why do we do it? Well, it's, just, it's, just a little, it's just worry. No, it's a sin against the holy God. God says don't worry about anything. So if you worry about anything then you're sinning against God. So why do we keep worrying? Because when we worry, what we do, we worry about something. Maybe we'll read a blog here, a sermon, or somebody will give us a verse that says, worry is a sin, so we'll go to God. God, I'm sorry, I'm worried. Lord, forgive me for my worry. Amen. We've sought forgiveness, but we never sought repentance. We've never turned from our worry and turned to God and left our worry behind. And so we're destined to struggle with it over and over and over and over again because we've never truly repented. Being stuck in that cycle is a terrible place for the believer to be. And deciding to get out of that cycle is, is harder than it sounds. But it's worth it and it's something that we should regularly be doing in our lives. As believers, we need to be regularly repenting, not just confessing, repenting of our sins on a daily basis. We need to recognize that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and turn from any action or any behavior that keeps us from him. Repentance is a major issue in the life of the believers. Our lives should be lived with God, should be lives of repentance. Tim Keller says this. He says, repentance is the way we make progress in the Christian life. Indeed, pervasive, all our life repentance is the best sign that we are growing deeply and rapidly in the character of Christ. See, repentance is the way that our life and character become corrected and God uses his word to draw us down the path and lead us down the path away from depending on that sin and depending on him. Now last week again we looked at the story of King Josiah and we saw as the temple is being restored that the word of God is found. The word of God is brought to Josiah, it is read to him and as he hears the word of God he is convicted of his sin. He realizes that he and the entire nation had been living contrary to the word of God. So he rips his clothes and mourns over his sin. And that's a great first step. But it's only the first step 
and living a life of repentance towards God. And he didn't stop there. He realized it was important for all of Israel to hear the word of God, and he has it read to everyone. So look in your Bibles in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, <coughs> starting in verse number 29. <clears throat> Bible says, then the, king sent, then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went unto the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. So Josiah, he reads it, he realizes his sin, he, he's convicted of his sin, he rips his clothes, he's mourning over it, and he says, this is something that everyone needs to hear. So he gathers all the, Israel, all the elders together, all the leaders of Israel, and he reads the word of God to them. Verse number 31, and the king stood in this place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which is written in his book. So he, he's convicted of a sin. He's ripped his clothes. He's mourned. He's read the scripture to other people and he's made a commitment to God. God, I'm going to live for you. God, I'm going to obey your word. God, everything I find in this word, everything you revealed to me, Lord, I'm going to live in a way that is honoring and, and, and honoring to you. And that's a great start. But look at verse 32. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand for it. So he made them agree to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenants of God, the God of their fathers. And here's, here's true repentance here. And Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries and that pertained to the children of Israel and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. In all his days, they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Josiah did more than just rip his clothes and say, God, I'm sorry. He did more than just rip his clothes, say, God, I'm sorry, and vow, God, I'm going to live for you. He made a point to make sure that he was going to live for God. He went through all of Israel and removed all the idols. He went through all of Israel and took down all the things that had led Israel to sin in the first place. He made it hard for them to go back to their old life. He turned from what they were doing and turned towards God and put up things in his life to keep him from sinning. So he gathers the elders, he gathers the leaders, he reads the book of the law. His goal is to lead the people in an act of correction, to lead them to repentance through the word of God. Because truly repenting and asking for forgiveness is more than just saying you're sorry, it takes action. It takes saying, God, I've sinned. Here's what I did. And honestly, it's going to take some soul searching. You're going to have to look at your life and say, what led me to go down this path? What led me to this sin? A lot of times I talk to, to men who are struggling with pornography. And I always ask, well, when are you most tempted to do this? Well, when I'm alone at night. Okay. Don't be alone at night with the computer in your house. Don't have access to the internet alone at night. If, that, if that's when you know you're tempted, then put in roadblocks to keep you from being tempted that way. And then if you find, well, now I'm tempted during the day, 
Well, you've got to find out what leads you to this sin and say, God, I see what's causing the problem, and I'm going to turn from that and stop doing that and put up roadblocks to keep me from doing that so I don't go down that path again. That is true repentance. In verse 32, we see that the people joined him in renewing his covenant with the covenant of their fathers with God. Now, if that's all there was to correction, just saying, oh, we messed up, we should not do that again, then, then it would be fine. But that's not all there was. We also see this vocal pledge was followed by a life-changing action in verse 33. The idols that had been the root of their spiritual and cultural life of Israel were removed. All the idols that had led them away from God in the first place were taken down. They made a correction that led them to a change of character. And for the rest of their lives, the Bible said, they served the God of Israel. Now, another generation came that didn't remember this. They put up idols and they fell back into sin. But this generation, they saw their sin, they confessed their sin, they corrected their sin... And they never dealt with that sin again. Now, they all had different sins that dealt. And that's why repentance is going to have to be a daily thing. Because you can repent of your, the, the besetting sin you have right now, the thing you're struggling with right now. You can conquer it and overcome it. And with the grace of God and the leading of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in your life, you can defeat that sin and truly confess and truly repent and turn away from it and never have to deal with it again. But you know what's going to happen? Another one's going to pop up right after that one. It's a constant battle. You know, I don't struggle with the things today that I struggled with 15 years ago. 15 years ago, 20, 25 years ago as a brand new believer Man, the things I struggled with, if you knew about them, you wouldn't want me up here. But I overcame them. I dealt with them. I confessed them. I repented of them. I turned from them and stopped doing them. But man, new ones popped up right after them. So I deal with them, get rid of them, and new ones popped up right after them. And whatever I'm dealing with now, as soon as I get that taken care of, guess what's going to happen again? Something's going to pop right up. Because the devil's always looking for our weaknesses. But we have to always, we can't ever give up. You can't ever say, well, if I'm always going to struggle, why struggle? Because I've talked to people like that. If it's always going to be a battle, why even fight? I'm going to heaven. God's forgiven me. I am what I am. I'm just going to deal with it. And, and, you know, when I get to heaven, I'll be sinless. That's not the life of the believer. The life led by the Word of God is a life that leads us to repentance. There are a few things in the life of the believer as discouraging as a long struggle with the persistent sin. And that's, that's especially true when we've experienced victory over other sins in other areas of our life. And sometimes victory over sin is hard to see because God wants to tr- teach us how to truly repent of that sin. God wants us to know not only how to walk in holiness, but to live a life of true repentance for his glory. Yes, sin in our life is a problem, but so is a life where we haven't learned how to truly repent of our sins. So how do we truly repent 
of our sin. First thing we have to do is, number one, have a broken heart. Joel 2.13, Bible says, rend your heart and not your garments. Josiah's outward tearing of his garments was an outward expression of grief and mourning over his sin. What God is saying in Joel is God doesn't want your showiness of, being, of asking forgiveness. God wants you to actually have a heart that seeks forgiveness of God. Because I've seen people, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been in big ministries and small ministries. And I've seen people come down the aisle, you know, boo-hoo and snot pouring down their face and just so sorry over what they've done. And they'll fall on an altar and they'll beg God to forgive them. And they'll get up and go. But it's all a show because you see them Monday and they're doing the exact same thing they were doing Saturday night. But it's a show, not for them, for other people. And God says, I don't want your show. I don't want your outward expression of grief. I want you to truly have a broken heart over what your sin has done because of your, with your relationship with God. God doesn't want us to just show remorse. He wants us to experience real, true grief over our sin. In David's Psalm of Repentance, where he is confessing and repenting of his sin with Bathsheba, he says that God doesn't want outward signs of repentance. Instead, David says this. He says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Now, we're not talking about the shame and condemnation the enemy heaps on us because of our sin. We're talking about a true godly grief over our sin, where we understand our sin breaks the heart of God, our sin breaks our fellowship with God, and that should break our heart. We can go through the motions, but when it comes to repenting, the most important thing is the condition of the heart. There's been a, a time in our ministry where me and April were having to deal with a family who had a, a terrible issue with one of their kids. And it's just, just breaking their heart and ruining their family. And so we were counseling with them and trying to help them through it. And, of course, the parents were heartbroken because of what this was doing to them and what it was doing to their kid. And they didn't know what to do. And so the, the child was saying, oh, I don't want to do this. I want help. I don't want to do this. I wish I could stop. And so I went and I talked to them. And they said all the right things. But I knew they weren't truly broken yet. So I had to go to the parents and say they're not ready. They're not, they haven't hit rock bottom yet. They don't have a broken heart. Because you can go through the motions and say all the right things and do all the right things, but if your heart's not truly broken, you're not going to change. Because you're not going to see the need to. So God wants us to learn to have a broken heart over our sin. So does your repentance look like a heart that has been rend, rent like a garment? Does your heart been broken and contrite before God? This attitude is missing from most repentance we see in Christianity, and it's the very thing that God's trying to teach us. God wants our hearts to be broken. And his word guides us to true repentance by showing us how, it, how our sin breaks God's heart so it can break our heart as well. So we have to have a broken heart. Number two, we have to behold his glory. Behold his glory. True repentance comes not just, not just by understanding what sin does to our relationship with God. 
It comes from also understanding the nature of the one of who we are in a relationship with. In other words, the more we see God as glorious and the more we see God as holy, the more we will see our sin as something that we should weep over. Repentance isn't about feeling bad, or is less about feeling bad over your behavior and more about feeling an awe toward and delight towards God. The more we have glimpses of his glory through the word of God, the more we mourn for scorning that glory because of our sin. In the end, God's plan is that we be, as whole, be holy because he is holy. But in the meantime, he desires a broken-hearted people who have learned to mourn over their sin who have learned to realize that their sin is against a holy and righteous God. And yes, as I said this morning, we are holy and righteous in the eyes of God. But our actions aren't. And we can see that we are bringing shame to a holy and righteous God. We are breaking the heart of a holy, righteous God. We are bringing disfellowship between us and God. And we mourn over our sin and we behold His glory and it leads us to true repentance. A regular, healthy diet of Scripture is necessary if the Bible is going to guide you in this life. If it's going to guide you to repentance, the Bible has to be read. That's why it's so important that we read and study and hear and fill our lives with the Word of God. And look, the the way the world is set up today with the technology you can, you can listen to the Bible while driving down the road and never really have to, have to open up a Bible. I think you should open up a Bible. I think you should read. I like a physical Bible because I like to flip and write and all kinds of stuff and highlight and circle. And I like to look at that. I also like it on my tablet because it's real easy, real convenient. I like it on my phone when I'm out somewhere and someone asks me a Bible question. I'm like, hey, where does the Bible say this? And I have no earthly idea. So I'm like, let me Google that real quick. And I can look it up. I have podcasts I listen to that just read the Word of God to me. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of the Word of God. Your life's never going to be changed if you're not having your life led by the Word of God. And your life is not going to be led by the Word of God by hearing it a couple times on Sunday. It's not going to be led by the Word of God by reading it for a few minutes every day. It's only going to be led by the Word of God if you fill your life with the Word of God. The Israelites, they didn't suddenly build altars to false gods and fall into a trap of idolatry. It was a gradual process that took generations of increasing faithlessness to take place. They built the idols. They started worshiping the false gods because they lost the word of God. They didn't know where it was. I mean, I can't fathom that. They're like, oh, we just, we misplaced the Bible the only Bible the entire nation has. We don't know what happened to it. We checked on the couch. We don't know what's gone. And so for generations, they didn't have the Word of God. And so it led them into a slow decline where they were living contrary to God's Word, worshiping idols. But when they started reading it and studying it and praying over it, it led them to a life of repentance where they, would get, they got right with God and stayed right with God. This is an issue of knowing about God versus knowing God. We all know about the Lord, but do we really know him? 
You know, a lot of people know about the Grand Canyon. You can Google the Grand Canyon and go to the Wikipedia page and you can read all about it, how deep it is, how, how long it took to form. Not millions of years, I believe, it happened and you know, a flood that happened suddenly, but that's just my biblical opinion. But, you know, they talk about how long it took to come and they talk about how deep the river is. And you can, you can learn a lot about the Grand Canyon. But nothing is as good as standing on the edge of it and just beholding the glory of it. You'll learn more about it by being there than about reading about it in a book. Encountering the depth of our sin through reading the Word of God is a similar experience. We read about God's expectations for us. We see how far we've fallen short of those expectations. And through the Word of God, we're encouraged and inspired to repent of our sins, to correct our mistakes, and to turn back to God and follow Him and serve Him all the days of our lives. That's what happened in the time of King Josiah. He read the book of the law. The people saw the depth of their sin, and they responded by removing the idols. That's what Paul meant when he said that the word of God is profitable for our correction.